This is Set Aside Some Time, an MSPN podcast, and it's brought to you by the National MSP Network, or MSPN for short. And now, on to the episode. Thank you for setting aside some time for us today. I am Rasa Umagali, your host for today's podcast. And joining us today, we have Jennifer Shemansky and Bridget Smith. We are going to be talking about the Paid Act, living with the Paid Act now that it's been um, out there for over a year. So I know that you are familiar with me. My name is, as I mentioned, I'm Rasafu Magali. I'm the Director of Medicare Secondary Payer Compliance at Synergy Settlement Services, and I will let my guests introduce themselves. Jennifer? Thanks, Rasa. So we're getting the, ba- the gang back together for this one. Um, so again, as Rasa said, I'm Jen Shemansky. I am the VP of Implementation and Strategy um, at Impacts. And um, Bridget's going to introduce herself, but Rasa and Bridget and I um, work on the Communications Committee and a subset of that, the uh, Podcast and Webinar Committee. So uh, Bridget, I'll toss it over to you quick before we get started. Yes, uh, thanks, Jen. Thanks, Rasa. I am the Senior Vice President of National Accounts and Settlement Consulting for Impacts, and I work with Jennifer. All right, so let's take a look at Living with the Paid Act. For those of you who may not be all that familiar with the Paid Act, you know, the Paid Act was implemented in December of 2021, and its intention is to provide RREs, Responsible Reporting Entities, with information regarding a Medicare beneficiaries' participation in Medicare Part C and Part D plans. I know that there are some limits in terms of what is provided. So, Jen or Bridget, can you clarify, you know, isn't there a certain period of time that's covered by the Paid Act? Right. And so I, I think maybe the first thing to maybe step back and talk about is this was actually in addition to some information, like hard information we're getting, it really was a data piece, right? So there is some data kind of the functionality of moving data back and forth that really comes into play with this. So the idea is at once upon a time, all we were finding was when we were putting that information back and forth to CMS is we were getting, you know, yes, Jen is a Medicare beneficiary or no, she isn't. Now we're getting multiples of that information. And so one of the things to talk about with this is this is just different. And a lot of companies or clients or customers that we work with just simply are not updated on the data piece to be taking in this information. So your point, Rasa, instead of just the yes or no, now we're getting much more information. We're finding out the dates that they are eligible for the Part A and the Part B. And then we're finding out if they have a Part C or Part D plans, and we're getting three years of data on that up to 12 occurrences. And so and so it's just, you know, functionally for people's claim systems, it's just so much more data. And um, I think that what I would say, Bridget, is what we're finding at least at Impact is um, we're encountering a lot of people that simply have not um, taken the ability to be able to to get that done in their claim system, right? This really kind of was something that was announced and it was put into place. And so there's a lot of people that didn't have that on their list of things that were upgrades for their their data. So I think one 
um, kind of you mentioned the whole topic today is where are we with the paid act? And I would say, I think there's, there's a decent segment of the population that really isn't anywhere as far as getting that information into their system. I think you would agree, Bridget, right? Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I would agree with that, Jen. And, and, and you're right. Some of it's, it is because of their system. They just, they, they haven't had the ability to do that. <clears throat> and I think one of the things that, that, that when we look at this information and the reason that I think a lot of people, um, you know, maybe there's a misconception of it is the reason we get all this information and the reason it's a three-year period is because every year a Medicare beneficiary can change their program, just like we can with our with our health insurance. Uh, and so there's there could be an individual who's on one program, one Medicare plan, traditional, then goes to an advantage plan, that goes to a different advantage plan that gets prescription drugs. And so uh, really, uh, I, I think the first issue is that, like you pointed out, uh, Jen, was are they are people really getting it? And, and I think you know, there's a good amount of people that aren't getting the paid act data. And then the second thing that I know we wanted to talk about a little bit here today is what are they doing when they get the data? Because I think that's a, there's there's a there can be a gap in that respect as well. Absolutely. What I think is very interesting, though, is that the people that have the ability to get the data, the RREs, you know, some of them may not necessarily be getting it because they couldn't do these uh, system switches. But I know that there are a lot of plaintiff's attorneys out there who wish that they had access to that data. I mean, I know one of the ways to do it is to go to medicare.gov, you know, have the beneficiaries open up an account if they're not already registered, and then you can sort of see what plans have been enrolled in. But oftentimes it's very challenging and difficult if you have, um, you know, an injury victim who is a little less tech savvy and you don't have a person that can kind of walk them through it. So I know that the plaintiff's bar would truly love to be able to access that information that's provided by the PAID Act. So, so for people who may not be that familiar with the PAID Act, I mean, one of the reasons why it's such a wonderful act is that before this, you know, how did people find out if someone was enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan? I mean, the beneficiary's attorney can kind of help them you know, try to look up that information on medicare.gov, but what did the defense do? Well, and, and to your point, I'll be honest with you, you know, my parents are of, of Medicare age, right? And so to, to your earlier point, there's just a lot of people who are either not tech savvy or more importantly, they don't really understand or know what benefits they're on. I point that I use my parents as an example all the time. If you ask my mother, she would tell you she's on Medicare. She indeed is not. She's on a Medicare Advantage plan. And so to your point, what did the defense side do before then? It really was a questions game, right? So, you know, we used to kind of talk to clients and say, hey, listen, there's a conversation that you need to have. And it, it can't just be, are you on are you on Medicare or aren't you? It needs to be, hey, yep, you get it because everybody gets a Medicare card, right? A Medicare card is a Medicare card. It's that other card. What's the other card that's in their wallet? And what does that say? Is a Medicare supplement plan? Is it a Medicare Advantage plan? Is it one of the prescription drug plans? And so until you kind of went in and, and were digging deeper, you, you really had no idea. But then, you know, back to Bridget's point, that was for the current year that they were sitting there with, right? You talk about some of these work cop cases that have long tails or potentially even liability cases. I guarantee you most of the general population would have no idea what their back history is 
for the two, three, four years before then on, on what they had for plans, right? So it, it really was kind of a, a crapshoot um, before we started getting, getting the information. So to your point, Rasa, this was just great all the way across the board to start getting this information. You know, I, I wanted just to add one thing to Rasa. You really brought a good point up with plaintiff's counsel. I was actually um, looking at some of those today, as a matter of fact, some of those uh, settlements that uh, the Justice Department had with some law firms, plaintiff's counsels, um, regarding non-payment of, of, of um, conditional payments. And uh, one of them in particular said, you know, you can't just rely on your client to tell you whether they are or are on, on Medicare. And I, I remember in the old days, you know, some of the settlements would have language in there saying that the claimant warrants that they are not on Medicare or the claimant warrants that they're only on this plan and they don't have any C or D. And that's just not going to fly anymore. So this, this information is, is very important. Very important. Definitely. And just talking about those settlement documents, I mean, oftentimes, even when I actually was doing defense work too, you, you know, you get information or in the workers' comp space, you have these boilerplate templates that mm -hmm. are attached where it says, I attest that I'm not a Medicare beneficiary and blah, blah, blah. And they just chose, whoever drafted the contracts just chose the wrong template, <laughs> you know, and people oftentimes don't even look at it. Yeah. You know, they say that, you know, I agree to submit the CMS this proposal to CMS, yet the case does not meet the CMS workload review threshold. So those contracts can have such, uh, you know, they could be very nonsensical unless you actually look at the terms and you think, how do these terms actually apply to this case? And if you have to amend the terms, amend the terms to make them accurate. My favorite is every one of those canned documents, all somewhere in that document starts a paragraph with the, it is not the intention of the parties to right. Medicare. So that was always my favorite, you know, ad lib that they put in every single document. Absolutely. So, all right. So we did talk a little bit about um, the carriers, some carriers accessing the information that's available through the Paid Act implementation. You have other carriers that don't have the capability at this point to do it. And for whatever reason, this is not part of the investment that they want to make in their, you know, data sharing infrastructure. So what about the information that you're actually getting from the Paid Act implementation? Are you getting accurate information regarding the Part C plans, the contact information, Part D plans? What, what are you seeing? So I would actually back up just a second. You're talking about kind of the carriers that get the information. I think really it kind of falls, I would say, into two groups, right? So there's the groups that kind of did all that technology and they're literally bringing that data in and it's showing up in their claims files, right? But I do think there is also another group out there that may not have the data connected. So it's showing up into the claim files, but they are through that reporting, getting the information back and are able to, to kind of weed through that information in a way that doesn't come into their claim system, but they're identifying the CND plans and the cases that have them. And then they are building internal processes to kind of do the same thing that the people that have the, the data is and you know, use that information without kind of connecting up the data. So I, I do think there are, you know, it's not just the people, hey, we're not getting it, we're not doing anything. I do think there are people who, you know, have some data challenges 
but are getting the information and, you know, are kind of doing it. And, and then you kind of fall into the point that you were just about to get to is what are you doing with the data? And so those people that are kind of doing it outside the system, you know, they need to make some decisions on, are they weeding through it every month? You know, trying to, to go through all that data and, and do it every month. Are they doing it, you know, maybe only in January after that first of the year, because that's usually in the plan switch, or they doing it a couple of times a year. So I think there's some decisions to be made there. And then, you know, I think it's across the board, as happens, you know, with everything. There are companies who are very adamant that they have put processes in place. If they're getting the data and it's coming into the claim file, they are noticing, you know, right away when they're accepting ORM and, and contacting the MAP or um, I think mostly the, the MAP plans. I don't know that um, we've seen a lot of clients who are actively going to the D plans. Um, we can kind of talk about that. But there are some that are kind of sitting and waiting and seeing if those, those plans, you know, come to them. And so I do think it's kind of across the board. Um, Bridget, we see quite a few that are building their own processes. Yeah, we, we do, Jen. And, it, and it's important. I think that's a really good point you made. It is important to have a process in place because if it, the information sits there, sits there dormant, it's not going to do anything and it can actually hurt you in the end. So I think one of the biggest things that to get across to everybody is do something with the information. If you're not able to get the information, work with somebody to help you get the paid act information, right? To see how you can, you can get that information and then do something with the information. Either you're gonna do it internally and have a, a process internally that talks about tracking it, right? We, we talk about the last three years. Um, who's tracking if the claim goes on for seven years or if the claim goes on for six years or even four years, you know, I mean, it, it can be different information. So who's tracking all of those potential lien holders? So that has to be a part of the policy and the procedure as well. And then who are you going to get to do, give them notice? You've got to give these people notice. These map plans aren't going to come looking for you until probably it's too late. And then you could be into a double damages situation or, you know, accruing that interest. So you, you need to do something with it. You need to have a process and procedure for it. If you're going to have a vendor do it, then then make sure, you know, you understand is, is the vendor doing traditional Medicare? Are they doing traditional plus C and D? So there's there's a few things that go into it, but with, with proper procedures and plannings, you really can um, cross your T's and dot your I's. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it makes sense to have a specific protocol in place so that you avoid pitfalls, especially with potential civil monetary penalties, you know, possibly next year and so forth. So now I know that a lot of those Advantage plans might be smaller advantage plans. And if they are being bombarded by proactive carriers seeking you know, reimbursement information, things like that, they may actually be quite overwhelmed. I mean, are you seeing, you know, what sort of responses are you seeing if you're seeing them at all from these smaller Medicare Advantage plans? Yeah, so kind of to your point on the logistics of it, I think, you know, at least initially, one of the things that we had heard, and I think this is kind of playing itself out, but that um, nobody was really kind of certain how CMS picked that um, address that was kind of placed in there for the contact. And so we had heard initially, at least some of the companies said, hey, yeah, that's our address. But had they asked us, that's probably not the primary address that we would give given them 
you know, to make these contacts. So I think by now it's played out over the year. I think they, you know, companies have made internal adjustments. I think there's been some contact with CMS. I don't think we hear as much of that as we did kind of in the initial uh, stages of it. And then you're right. There really is kind of a breakdown of, as you would guess, some of the, the larger companies, they have the process. They have the internal processes. They've built up systems. They're, they're responsive to this. You know, it goes. And you're right. Then we're seeing, you know, some of these smaller companies, I think, just didn't have a process built up. And they probably just don't have the manpower, uh, person power to be able to go through and kind of go through all of these. So to your point, we, we do find across the board, some of them are very responsive and some of them are non-responsive. Yeah. So I mean, well, this is a, please go ahead, Bridget. Oh, no, I was going to say, I will say that, that usually they take less time to get back to you once they are responsive than, than CMS. Um, their turnaround is usually a, a little bit quicker. Uh, which is a good thing, right? And I think the other important thing is too, those Advantage plans, you're still making those same arguments to those Advantage plans that you would make to CMS. So it's really worth, you know, having not only the information on the plans, but disputing those liens too. Absolutely. And it's probably easier to negotiate things too, because you are you can call a specific person and talk right. to them when you're negotiating that Medicare Advantage lien. So do you see... Uh, reductions for procurement costs with these Medicare Advantage plans. You know, if they are using the Medicare Secondary Payer Act as a recovery vehicle, you know, just like Medicare with uh, traditional Part A and Part B, they should be uh, deducting attorney's fees. So I suspect you probably make the argument quite right. often that that should be done. Yeah, yeah you, you make those arguments, right? And you make the arguments on on, you know, not only whether it's related and not related, but whether it, you're actually responsible for it. It's an unauthorized provider, or um, perhaps it's out of your coverage period, or um, or what have you, or you have a, an opinion, a, a judicial opinion on it. So there's, you want to make all of those arguments. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So at Synergy, you know, that always is an argument that we make in terms of Medicare Advantage plans. You know, if you are claiming that you're entitled to recover, well, then you've got to give us the procurement costs and, you know, you can't have it both ways. So I feel though at a certain point that they have a bit of a different take on that only because they're private companies who still want people to buy their Advantage plans. You know, uh, so I, I do think they probably try a little bit harder to kind of make sure that what they're placing on, on these, you know, lean letters is you know kind of directly related to you know the case. I I know at times we've we've talked about some frustrations with the CMS process and how their grouper that handles the conditional payments works. And I I just I would like to think I guess that we don't really know the answer to that. Um, but I would like to think they're a little bit more judicious, knowing right the free market at work that they they don't want to be known as the people who are overreaching all the time that may potentially impact their ability to get you know, these people to sign up for these Advantage plans. That's a really good point. So, I mean, I think it would be great, and I'm sure this will never happen, to know which of the Advantage plans actually are the most difficult, <laughs> you know, for, <laughs> for the uh, AARP community to say, hey, I'm going to have some challenges with this company or whatever. And it would be great if there were registered agents for these, for these MAP plans so that everybody would know where do you send this request for lean information too. 
it would make things a lot easier. But ladies, I do see that we are close to the end here. So I does Bridget or Jennifer, do you have anything you'd like to add before we call it a wrap? Yeah, I think I would just go back to what Bridget said earlier, which is, you know, you should be making sure you're getting the information, either it's through the data or it's some other means. But to Bridget's point, you should be doing something with that data, right? We're getting the data now. Um, we should be preemptively using this. And I think for, you know, Bridget, you could tack onto this, but primarily it's so much easier to wrap everything up at settlement time as opposed to waiting until, you know, that's done two, three, uh, four months later when the Advantage plans have gotten kind of that information through CMS, they've dug through it. Now they're going to start issuing liens because they've got notice of it. Now you have a closed file that you essentially have to go reopen and, and you know, deal with those parts. And so I think, Bridget, to your point, it is, we should be using it. We're getting the data, we should be using it. I couldn't agree more, Jen. And, and, and at the settlement, you know, doing it before the settlement, puts all the pieces in place. So you can, when you settle, you can, you, you know, you're done. Right. Um, and, and talking about plaintiffs and, and plaintiffs uh, getting this information or claimants counsel, they don't have access to that paid act data. So if you're giving, you know, you have to be sure that all of the parties know, you know, basically whomever is getting that lien information has the ability to, to identify who those part C and D information uh, plans are, and if that means that the defendants are sharing that with with the the plaintiffs through the Paid Act information, that might be a good tool to do to make sure everybody's on the same page. Absolutely, you know, plaintiffs' attorneys and defense attorneys may be at odds on many issues, but there really is no reason to not share this information and be on the same page. So, thank you very much. Um, to our listeners for setting aside some time today. And thank you, Jennifer, and thank you, Bridget. Our next episode is going to be expanded ORM terminations. So we hope you can join us next time. Thank you. And much more. I'm, I'm hosting that one. Much more. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> Thanks, Rasa. Thanks, Bridget. Thanks, Rasa. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Bye-bye.